Good evening, and the Lord be with you, as he indeed is with me, and welcome to this hour together. I want to continue where we left off last week, and if you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. I would encourage you to listen to those earlier weeks on this subject um, and if you're here for the first time, what I'm saying tonight will stand on its own two feet. You'll just understand it better if you'll look at where we've been in the last weeks. Okay, I want to continue with the blessing that was given to Abraham, which became the blessing that actually ended or came to its fullest fruition in Jesus and through Jesus to us who comprise every family of the earth. And so there in Genesis chapter 12, that blessing was given to Abraham that through him and his seed, who was Jesus, the blessing would be to every family of the earth. And I want to look at that faith that responded to that blessing. I might say right now, I'll repeat it, but I, I'll say it, the only capable response to God's blessing is faith. You cannot earn it. He is not for sale. There is nothing I can do to deserve it. I can only say thank you and receive it by faith. And so I want to see how Abraham grew in his faith. Uh, Abraham being the first one to make a response to this blessing. You and I are doing the same thing today. And so Abraham becomes the model. He becomes the father of those who are walking in faith. And we can learn a lot from him. And so reading from Romans, which is the commentary of the Holy Spirit on these days, uh, Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 16, and it says, uh, For this reason it is by faith it, that it may be in accordance with grace. In plain English, when God gives you, when it is grace, the only response you can have is faith. And so then um, it speaks in verse 17 of that blessing in Genesis chapter 12. He quotes it and says, A father of many nations have I made you, or all the families of the earth. And then it says, In the presence of him whom he, Abraham, believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Let those words sink in. God is described in, in terms of this blessing as the one who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So Abraham, in hope against hope, he believed. So when there was no hope, he looked at no hope and had hope and had faith. He believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. And again he quotes the blessings, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. That is, he looked at his own body and the body of his wife, which he said now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He took in the total impossibility of this situation. Yet, in spite of that, in spite of the impossibility of what he was looking at, yet, with respect to the promise of God, the blessing, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Okay, we'll look at that. And if you're reading Genesis, we're covering in these hours from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis 22. And so, what, what is the beginning of faith? Where, where does faith happen? It tells us in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. 
And so it is that faith that we're talking about with Abraham began with hearing, and let me say right now, hearing at a heart level. Not, not just hearing with outer ears, but hearing with inside ears where that word latches on to your very core being. He heard the Lord speak to him the word of blessing. And then he made that a double guarantee by swearing by himself. God swore by himself with covenant. And so with the word and then with the covenant word, Abraham heard the blessing. Now, very quickly, let me recap what is a blessing the word blessing little tiny word yet it's the most ancient word in human language it's in genesis 126 where it begins and the blessing the the definition is it's a good word spoken so a blessing is a good word uh, you might add to that the idea of a glad and joyous word and it's spoken, and spoken to person or persons that are greatly beloved, held in high esteem, counted of great worth. And so this good, glad, joyous word spoken to those that are greatly loved. And it is a word that contains the content of the word the content is the love purposes of God for that person or persons. Uh, you could say, therein is his holy, passionate desire for those persons. This is what love wants for them. It is, in that sense, the will of God. For the will of God is not some cold thing that is imposed on you, or some would make us believe. But the will of God is the dancing heart of God. This is what love desires for you. And it comes in the form of a blessing. He speaks it as a good word. But that good word that brings you the assurance of your belovedness and brings to you what love wants for you, that word is not just information. You understand, it's not just simply you read information and say, well, that's nice. This word that comes is for impartation. You get that? It's not to inform you uh, and make you the most knowledgeable person in the prayer group. It is that actually imparted into you is power to receive it and to become all that it's talking about. So you could say that the word spoken is in itself the power to convey what it's talking about and induce you with a panoply of ability and power and strength to become all that it wills for you. Blessing, what a word. Because all that I've just been saying is simply that is what a blessing is. And let me say this quickly too, that a blessing, we, we, we should never think of a blessing as something that is apart from and independent of God. You see what I mean? I, I could say, I'm going to give you this pen. Well, I would give it to you, and that's it. I mean, I gave something that was not part of me. It's something that was mine, and I gave it to you, and off you go, and you've got something that I had, and now I gave to you, and we'll probably never meet each other again. Uh, that is, I gave it to you as something independent of me. It's, it's something that is not part of me. Or to put it this way, I could give you my shirt, uh, I could give you my coat, and off you go. You got something of me. But you see, if you wanted my heart, ah, oh, well, now that's a different matter. I don't give you a bit of my heart. 
I don't take out my heart and say, no, off you go, you got my heart now. No, if you want my heart, you have me in my totality to go with it. I'm never separated from my heart. And so I, if I give you my heart, I come with it. And that's a blessing. A blessing isn't some thing that God sort of gives you, some it, some beautiful it, some wonderful it. No, it isn't. It isn't an it. The blessing is the very heart of God giving himself to you. And he comes with his heart. To be blessed means that you have a relationship, an actual union with God, and specifically God the Son, the one we know as Lord Jesus Christ, who is called in the New Testament the Word of God. He is the good word. And he is the one who comes and brings us everything that had been promised to mankind since Abraham and before. Did you understand that? Because I hear many people talking of blessing as if it is some sort of thing that God carries on his belt and gives bits of it away. No. When he blesses you, he gives himself to you and gives himself in Jesus, who is the Word of God. You see, Jesus, the Word, he undergirds all words of blessing. Blessing, it, it, it is, it focuses in Jesus ultimately, but it covers all of human existence. And we're going to get into that in the weeks to come, but you've got to understand this is speaking of salvation in the sense it's used in the Bible, not in the sense that it's used in many places today, which means that you'll go to heaven when you die. Salvation means that in your innermost core being, in your mind, in your emotions, in your physical body, in your possessions, in your work, in your imprint upon your world, you receive blessing and become a blessing. It means that you are protected. It means that you are cared for and looked after. You are kept. All of that is within that word. And similar to it is the word shalom or peace, which again covers the entirety of your life. And that word brings in, along with the word blessing, the idea of prosperity and success. Prosperity that begins in your innermost being and moves to your outermost person and imprint on the world. Oh, but it's all Jesus. Understand it. Jesus is the one that undergirds all those words of blessing. He is actually the content of the blessing. And union with Jesus, he in you and you in him, is the life that is the secret and the source of the blessing. And so every blessing in the Old Testament looked forward to him. And when he came, his coming is what had guaranteed all those promises in the Old Testament. I hope that makes sense to you. God gives us. Oh, his love, abundant love. I'll say, I, I hesitated, it's wasteful love, for he gives it to those who accept it and those who do not accept it. He gives his love, he gives his blessing. What's my response? Do I sit back and say, how interesting? No, the response, as I said before, is faith. And we spent the whole week last week talking about what that is. But faith essentially is my heart saying amen, or amen, it means so it is, so be it. It's like putting a stake in the ground, it's a line in the sand, it's saying this is it, this is final truth, and I give my life away to it. You could say that faith then is abandoning my whole self to the faithfulness of God, believing he means what he says, he is who he says he is, and he'll do what he promised, and so here I am. Amen. So it is. That's faith. It's faith. It's, it's trust 
in his trustworthiness. You see, um, that, that means then that, that faith takes hold upon this good word of God, which ultimately is Jesus. And that word, that personal word, Jesus, becomes the center point of life. Or you could say the integration point, that which draws all life together into wholeness and balance life. That, that word, that good word, that blessing word becomes the reality, becomes the substance in my heart upon which all of life is built and my future destiny is fashioned. That blessing centered in Jesus becomes my compass north. Wherever I am in life, whatever's happening, I, I, my compass north is Jesus. God has spoken. He will never leave me. He cannot leave me. He will not forsake me. He has given himself to me and sworn so by himself. And this determines then the path of life. It, it fashions my worldview. It's how I look at what's happening. It's how I look at appearances that are passing. They look very real as they're passing. But I understand life. I understand reality. It's not always what it looks like. I, I don't always believe what the media tells me because I now have a worldview that is anchored into the blessing, into Jesus. And that faith in that blessing fills our horizon with hope. And, and so faith is the only response I can give to the sheer gift of the blessing. But now we're looking at how that faith grew in Abraham. And because it's the same way it grows in us. And this is the beginning, and we're at the end, but we learn how it works from the end. And so, take a look at that blessing, will you? I mean, it's impossible. I, I, there's no point that you touch God blessing without realizing it's absolutely impossible for the human to accomplish or even know how it could be. It's impossible. It leaves you uh, brainless, not only speechless, because I, I can't think it. The blessing is incredibly beyond all that my brain can take in or think. And I know that for some people, their religion could be thought about altogether in five minutes. But when you hear what the blessing is and what God wills for us in Jesus Christ, the report of, of the scripture is, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. The human heart has never conceived what God has laid up for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. If you are a Christian, you see, if you believe you are a walking miracle and you have a faith and a life that is founded upon miracles, the incarnation, the death of Jesus on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Spirit, this is the foundation of faith and the blessing and it's all impossible, of course, if you're going to just use your human logic. And when it came to Abraham, who was the first one to hear this as it begins to happen in him, through him, it wasn't only impossible, it was utterly ridiculous. You see, the blessing always brings life. The blessing always brings fruitfulness. Well... The blessing as it began to be unfolded to Abraham and through him to the human race and finally in Jesus. Yeah, it was all about life and fruitfulness. It's going to begin with Sarah, the wife of Abraham, bearing a son. 
And that son, that descendant, through that son, there would come descendants upon descendants upon descendants. And he would become a vast nation. But through Abraham and that son, whose name would be Isaac, there would ultimately come one descendant, Jesus. And so, this was the beginning, you see, with Abraham. You are going to be lifed. You and your wife Sarah shall be fruitful, and you shall bear a son. And that son will be the gateway to ultimately blessing the whole world. Well, that's all very nice if you're in your 20s or 30s. But Abraham received that blessing in Genesis 12, and he was 75 years old, about my age. And his wife was 65. 65. He's 75, she's 65, and they're childless. She can't have children. And here the blessing is saying that you will have children, you'll have a son, and so on. Well, that is impossible, utterly impossible. But it got even more impossible because the promise didn't come to pass. It just hung there, this promise of the son who would bring this blessing to the world. And they waited 25 years. And Abraham is a hundred. And his old crone of a wife is now 90. And the promise, the blessing is you will be lifed. And you will be fruitful. And you, Sarah, shall bring forth the son. I haven't changed my mind, says the Lord. I want you to settle into this because most Christians I meet need to that the blessing of God however that blessing we're talking about whether we're talking about what true salvation is new birth becoming part of the new creation united with Jesus in his resurrection filled with the Holy Spirit I mean how are you going to make that happen, you see? It's impossible. Impossible. And Jesus said it. He actually sort of quoted from these words we're looking at in, in Genesis when the rich young ruler came. And he was, I mean, he was a ruler of the synagogue. He was the pastor. And he was rich, so the disciples thought, well, that means he's blessed of God already. And he's kept all the commandments. And you remember, he went away sad. He, he, he couldn't receive the words of Jesus. And the disciples said, Lord, who can be saved? If he can't, who can be? And I love the way Mark puts it when, he, when it says, and Jesus looking on them, you know, he didn't answer immediately, he just looked at them as if to say, fellas, you're not going to believe this. And then he said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, if your being a Christian is possible to you, then I'm sorry you haven't heard the gospel yet. I, 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 in myself, I can't love you as Jesus loved me. But that's what he said, didn't he? I, I, I can't. I, I look through this, this awful, this awesome whole dimension of love as God has loved us. I can't do that. And, and if you're told that if you read your Bible more and if you pray more and you go to church more and all that sort of stuff, uh, you'll, you'll be, no, you can't. You'll just get burned out trying. It's impossible. Snuggle down into that. Go to bed in a sleeping bag marked impossible. Put your head down on the pillow of ridiculous, impossible. Because this whole blessing is impossible. And as that comes out through your mind and emotions, wherever and however you need the blessing in your mind and emotion, in your physical body, in your work, or lack thereof, 
and your whole imprint on the world when you saw that's impossible oh that's wonderful you've got it you see the blessing is impossible it's impossible and right from the very beginning here with Abraham and Sarah for the blessing to come into effect meant literally resurrection from the dead this old hundred year old fellow and this old lady of 90 they need a resurrection in the organs of their body uh, Sarah needs resurrected hormones she needs resurrection that's right every blessing of your life has undergirding it the resurrection of Jesus because let me say it this way all expressions of the blessing they are exclusively in the realm of the impossible. For you see, blessing is God himself, that, that's the source of all blessing, working in unlimited love power. And he's flowing into the earth through a limited creature human. So of course we're going to see the impossible and go, we settle for it. We don't sweat, we don't struggle, we rest in the fact of his love. That's faith, it rests in his faithfulness. If he said it, he can do it, and I give him praise. So the blessing, certainly right here at the very beginning, and so right through to us at the end, the blessing is according to a heavenly logic, certainly not human logic. It, it, works according to a heavenly possible because among human creatures it's always impossible we human creatures are limited of course we are we are bound by natural laws and we're also bound and limited by mental limits that have been put in our head by ancestors peers and ourselves our ancestors have told us. Everybody knows that can't happen. That's impossible. Don't be daft. I can hear my mother saying it now. That you can't do that. You can't do that. That can never happen. And so we're locked in. I mean, we're locked in enough just as humans, but our ancestors squeezed the life out of us and said, that's it. You can't go beyond those bounds. And our peers now, they say the same. This is the way life is. Don't be silly. That can't happen. That can't happen. You can never be different and so on. And, and we put it on ourselves. But you see, the blessing will always be impossible, wonderfully, gloriously impossible for the human to intellectually grasp. Because I always want to analyze it. I want always to know a scientific reason as to how it could possibly be. And how is it going to happen? You'll never know. Except that God loves you. And as you come to the total end of yourself, snuggle into impossible. Embrace it. That's how God intended it. He could have given that son to Abraham long before this. I mean... At 75, and his wife at 65, that would have been a wonder enough if they were childless. But no, see, God loves to show the impossible being done. And so he waited till they were 100 and she was 90. Yeah, because your human intellect will always say it's impossible. This is a matter of the heart. And just before Isaac was born, in Genesis 18, uh, the Lord says, in answer to the incredulous Abraham and Sarah, he said, is anything too difficult for the Lord? God, the question, you, uh, no, you daren't answer that. You know there's nothing too difficult for him. And so faith is that which looks beyond Intentionally looks beyond, not drifts there, not on a whim, but intentionally sets the course of life to look beyond the natural and the human limited possible to rest in what God said yes to. And if God said yes, then all of God is behind it to do it. And we say, Amen. 
so be it. And as I say, as the years went by, nothing changed. Their bodies only grew older, and things became more ridiculous. And that's where those verses I read from Romans, he says, God who gives life to the dead, and he calls into being that which does not exist. And that would include the whole hormonal system and structure, organic structure of Abraham and Sarah's bodies that had long ceased to exist, but he called them into being and called a son into being within her womb. And so in hope against hope, against hope, I mean, there was nothing to hope if I'm looking at my body, but in hope he believed because it says that he contemplated his own body. That is, he's not in denial. He takes it in, his own body. Yes, it's now as good as dead. And he took into contemplation uh, the deadness of Sarah's room. But then he said, I, I know what I'm looking at. But the promise of God is final reality. And he did not waver, you know, go backwards and forwards in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, thanking God for his promise and that he would do it, being fully assured that what he had promised he's able also to perform. Now, having spoken that word to Abraham, he begins to work with Abraham and continually bring him back to the fact that it was a heart matter and not the result of human logic. Now, you might never have gone here before, so listen carefully and may the Holy Spirit give us understanding. God taught Abraham the walk of faith bringing his core person to focus on the Word of God and to imprint that Word in images upon his heart so that he could feel it and see it in his imagination. Okay, don't, don't, don't run away. Look. There are verses that maybe you're very well aware of, but you might not have read them very carefully. Okay, in the process of all of this, as God is his tutor in faith, Genesis 15, listen very carefully. You, you've read this before, but listen carefully. It says, and he, that's the Lord, took him, Abraham, outside. So they're in a tent, and the Lord is speaking to Abraham about this blessing, which involves this son to be born. And so then he took him outside the tent and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And the Lord said to him, So shall your descendants be. Okay, did you hear that? Let's try Genesis 13, verse 14. The Lord said to Abraham, having spoken about this blessing to him, Now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you, your descendants. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. What's he doing? He is not giving Abraham a study that involves thinking about this and trying to conceive how it can possibly happen. Rather, the Lord appeals directly to his imagination and to his feeling 
which involved actually his physical body. Did, did you, he took him outside. I mean, this is the word of God. The, the, these words are important. He's not, I say it again, they're not sitting in the tent having a Bible study. He takes him outside. And then he says, now look toward the heavens. This is a very physical thing. He looks toward the heavens. And says the Lord, count the stars. Now, of course, nobody here in the U.S. has seen the stars. Uh, we have blanked out most of the stars with our electric lights. Um, and certainly in those days, in the near Middle East, out in the middle of nowhere, the stars would have been a sight that I've never seen. But I've seen them pretty good in the middle of the jungles of Africa, on a night without a moon, and there the stars. For the first time in my life, I knew why they called it the Milky Way. As the stars seemed to be just above the treetops, and I saw literally millions of stars that I'd never seen here in the States, because there's too much light here. But there in the intense darkness, huh, count the stars, count the stars. D do you follow me in what I'm saying? He is not appealing to his brains. I know, Abraham, you've really got to get your act together and try and think this, man. No, he says, come outside. Breathe the night air. Look up and see the stars and start counting. You can't count them, can you? There's too many. Well, that's the number of children that will be your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren through this descendant, this child who is coming. It was a physical act. It was feeling the promise fulfilled, tingling in his hands and the wonder on his face as he looks up. I, I, I can see his face now as he looks up. And it's appealing to what we call heart. It's not brain, it's heart. It's where we feel. It's where we intuit. It's where we know when our brain can't always understand. This is where love happens and brain can't understand love. This is when joy erupts, which is beyond thinking about. And, and then, what, what, the other one, he says, as they're in the desert, he said, now lift up your eyes. Come on, says the Lord, lift up your eyes and look around. Look to the north and look to the south. Look to the east and look to the west. Lift up your eyes and look. Again, he's appealing to physical act and feeling. And he said, all the land which you see, which you see. And then he says, arise, get up and start walking, man. And wherever you walk and put the soles of your feet, that is, you feel the desert sand under your feet and you feel the rocks and you feel the shrubs brushing against your legs. and It's yours, you see. He's appealing to, not to a study of doctrines with his intellect, but a heart acceptance of something that's so big it can only be imaged to him. And he's feeling the truth that is given personally and applied. Or oh, here in the West, and here especially in the U.S., we, we are so illiterate in this. We're so illiterate. Look, you cannot study with your brain, laughter, while you're laughing till the tears roll down your cheeks. Think about that. You cannot study with your intellect the subject of joy, while joy is like a great gazer inside of you that's gushing up and overflowing, and it's getting into your feet and you're about to dance for joy. You can't study joy while you're actually in the midst of rejoicing. You cannot study love while your eyes are full of stars and you're saying, I'm in love. That's a heart matter. 
Really so. I'm not just using heart as a sentimental Valentine's Day thing. I mean, you've got a brain inside your physical heart, and that's where all this happens. Nor can you study sadness when you are in the depths of despair. There is a difference, you see. And faith is a heart matter. You know. You reach out to him who is invisible. You reach out to him who is beyond science to prove. But you know him. And you trust him. And you, amen. You, this is it. You commit yourself. And you see, this that he was doing with Abraham, it's all the way through scripture. All the way through scripture. You might not have noticed it, but if, let me notice it for you. The Lord says, and I'm just picking here from, I mean, we could go on all night on this. But he said, the Lord is your rock. Isn't it interesting? The Lord is your rock. Well, you know he, he's not just a piece of rock. But when you see rock with its stability, you somehow heart to know that's my God. The Lord is my fortress. He, he, he's not an armed place, but you know he's your safety, but you know that with your heart. The Lord is your shield. The Lord is your sword. Oh, I could go on. But you know he's not a sword and he's not a shield. And yet, and yet, your heart knows that everything that is within those symbols he is. And he's speaking to you from shield and sword and rock and fortress and saying that I am to you. Even as the stars said to Abraham, this is my covenant promise. And the dust of the desert spoke, this is my covenant promise. And he knew it at another level. Oh, come on, Jesus used it. Look, the most famous of all, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I mean, every time you see a branch on a tree, let alone a vine, you, doesn't it happen to you? You realize that's me. I am as united to Jesus as that branch is to the tree trunk and the sap of the tree, the very life of the Holy Spirit flows through me. But... He couldn't teach you that in the brain. You've been trying to think that till you get holy religious migraine headaches. No, it's a heart matter. I, I've said it to you before, and I, the way I put it, you is it. That is, I can't see how I get there except I trust in Jesus, and it is so. You and I together, we are the body of Christ. He is the head. What an image of a great, Human, with a head and a body, and we are the body, and he is the head. But what does that do? It appeals to your imagination. It, it connects at a deeper level than your brain. He says, you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wow! Every time I look at my body, I say, this is where the Holy Spirit lives. The Shekinah glory of God dwells in me. That's my heart knowing that. I didn't figure that out. And then the epistles, it says, you are God's garden. What a thought. I'm his garden for his delight. Others, what they say, you are rooted and you're grounded in him. They're all imagination words that you've got roots that go down into God's heart. You, you've got a foundation, you're grounded in him. And hey, how, at least if you've been around me for the last 60 years, how do you understand the love of God to the nth degree? How about the prodigal son? What imagery! That appeals to my imagination. I see the father hugging that prodigal, and I know the love of God. I have taken flight beyond that parable, and I know the love of God. Okay? That's what God was doing. He's saying, get to your heart. And I, I might say, I have to say this. The, the sacraments, uh, they tap into this. So this weekend, Easter weekend, we are having uh, baptism here at, at the ranch. And, and well, 
Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you're taking someone and you're plunging them into water and burying them in water and then bringing them out of the water and they're dripping wet and you put oil on their forehead. And what's that all about? It's the same that was happening to Abraham. I'm not asking you to grasp this logically. I'm asking you to, is it? Because it's not that you understand baptism. You are involved in it. You become one with it. He died for me and I was in him and I was buried with him and I'm risen with him. It's my physical faith. Oh, poor Western American believers, you act as if you don't have a body. It's all up here somewhere. It's all heaven when you die, and it's all just, and your body sits there like a lifeless piece of meat in a freezer. Look, your body is part of you, and your feelings and your imagination. Baptism is physical faith. It is physically joining with my core being and abandoning myself to the finished work of Christ. I take of the bread and I take of the wine and I say, this is the body of Christ, this is the blood of Christ. And I, on my tongue, I am taking by sacrament a symbol that conveys what it symbolizes. And my highest imagination, I am in the presence of God and I am feeding upon the very life who is Jesus. I say it, today's believer has a starved imagination. Students. We live in a house in town. We, we, we live next door to a church. I won't tell you which one it is. I think some Texans would know which one it is. But they, they go into that church every Sunday morning. Quite a fair number of them. And you don't hear a peep. Even the mice in that church are mute. There's not a sound comes out. And if you peep in the door, they're all studying the Bible. There's not an eyelid that moves. There's not a finger. There's not a sound of music. And then they walk to their cars like robots and drive home. As if they didn't have bodies, they didn't have voices. Look, you go into the scripture, and faith clapped its hands unto God, raised its hands, it danced before the Lord, because this is a heart matter. It's not just knowing about, it is knowing, and this is God's method. Well, he, Abraham, saw and felt and he knew and and his brain said look at your body man this isn't gonna happen he said I've looked at my body but my heart says what he has promised he is able to do he's able to do it and it was very natural and I want to emphasize that too it's very natural because if God has given to me the blessing, and if I have amended it and taken that blessing, giving thanks to God, well then, that's mine. I better get used to it. So I, I don't have to try and be worthy. You don't find Abraham doing that. He's not struggling. I've got to be worthy to have this promise. I've got to, I've got to show God that no. You don't find that. It's not as if he's stealing it from God. Sort of when God's back is half turned, I'll grab the blessing because I know I'm not worthy. And you're not trying to trick him or manipulate him. You know, though, it happens every Sunday in some places. You know, you've got to make a promise to read your Bible through in a year. Then God will bless you. Yeah, yeah, you manipulate him. He doesn't want to do it. But if you twist his arm with a lot of stupid religious promises... He'll, he'll do it, you see. Yes, you think he will. No, this isn't making a deal with God. This is my abandonment to his love. A faith abandons to grace. And I rest. And I have 
the blessed holy gall to say, in Christ Jesus I'm worthy to receive and I thank you. And I walk naturally in this. Yes, this is what is going to be. I know, I know I've just had my 80th birthday. I know that she is struggling on at 70. I know I'm coming on 85 and she's on and on it goes. But this is mine. This is my inheritance. I am of the blessing. He gave it to me and I took it. So I think of myself at a heart level. I is the blessing. The promise of God with all that that covers. You as you are in this world today. And at every point where you touch this world. You are blessed. The blessing is yours. And you don't need to explain it to anyone because it's yours. And you see, as I say, you didn't get it by having a very high IQ. You got it because your heart said, thank you. I receive it through Jesus. So maybe you can't explain it to a sneering neighbor. Well, that's okay. Because it's yours. And you know the blessing in Christ is yours. So don't be a captive to the goodwill of others. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid that if you say something wrong, they're going to frown at you. Let them frown. For the blessing is yours. And you don't have to explain why. You know because Jesus took you through death and resurrection. And, and don't be a captive to the nastiness of others. No one and no thing determines to you what is possible. Only God's word to you in the blessing. That determines it. And I have to say this. I, I wish we had another hour for this. It wasn't only in his heart and in his imagination that he, he saw himself as the father of nations or families. But the Lord put it into his mouth. How did he do that? He changed his name. When I was talking last week, I made a big point of saying Abraham and Sarai. That's who they were when the blessing came. But... In Genesis 17, the Lord changed their names from Abram to Abraham and Sarai to Sarah. And without going into all that, the Hebrew people were named by little sentences, very much like our North American Indians are, um, like Chief Running Bear or whatever. It's a little sentence, Running Bear. Um, well, they were named by sentences, but of course, when we hear it, it sounds like a name. Abraham sounds like a name, is a name. But actually, if you understand the Hebrew, it's a little sentence. And Abraham means the father of a multitude. Abraham. In plain English, that word Abraham means the father of a multitude. And Sarah means princess. Now, do you see what's happening here? The Lord has changed his name from Abram, which meant exalted father, just a very important person, to Abraham, father of a multitude. And you, you get this? I mean... Here's the old chap. Uh, he, no hope of having children. And the Lord keeps insisting he's going to have the son who's the gateway to a vast multitude. And now, having looked at the stars and felt the sand oozing through the toes of his sandals, and now he says, I'm changing your name. Abraham. And so... Abraham, now he's, he introduces himself at the next social event he goes to with Sarah. And he says, well, I am, and of course he would say Abraham, but you realize what he was saying in the ears of himself and everybody there. 
I am the father of a multitude. In fact, I'm the lord of a vast nation and ultimately the world. And this is my co-ruler, my princess. Do you understand? He couldn't help it. God gave him the name, which meant every time he said his name, he was saying, I am the father of a multitude. And if through him all families of the earth to be blessed, ultimately he's the heir of the world. You see, to the Hebrew people, a person's name described who they actually were, their core essential being. And so to announce your name was to say, this is who I am. And as that doddering old couple announced themselves, the mother and father of a multitude, this is who I am, regardless of what may appear to be. See, this is the language of faith. It's not the language of logic or common sense. It's the language of faith. Faith speaks in the present tense. The tense that says, I have it, even when there's no evidence to the senses that the thing even exists. Oh, no, we're not used to this, you see. We, we, we haven't been taught to think with our heart. We haven't been taught to imagine with the Holy Spirit. We haven't been taught to speak of ourselves as God speaks of us. What happens? We, we believe. We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. We believe he is Lord. Uh-huh. And when we begin to talk about econ economics, economics and about world affairs and about the future we immediately default to the limits of human possible and we talk as if there is no Jesus let alone that he's Lord of galaxies all the way through to governments do, do you understand me we, 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 we've got this whole library in our heads of things we believe but they have no effect on our lives because it's only heart faith that knows. And when you know, all of life then is brought into alignment with that. So, you see, the language of faith is never, never that of the intellect that thinks with human logic, which evaluates the senses. I mean, if, if Abraham thought with human logic, he would look at his body and Sarah's body and say, look, <clears throat> let's get some common sense here. This is not happening. It's not going to happen. She's got more wrinkles today than she had four years ago. This is ridiculous. That's human logic, isn't it? That's evaluating the situation with my senses. The intellect always analyzes the situation and says when you add it up, bottom line, and all those sort of phrases, it doesn't work. We don't have it. And it questions and says, I believe God. Of course I believe God. But, and off you go. And then we come up with our formulas, and if we do this, and if we do that, and if we do the other, then maybe we can, God will do it for us. No, religious intellectualism. Faith is the language of the heart. And in your heart you know. You have eased into the heart of God's love and you say he loves me. Jesus loves me, gave himself for me. Jesus rose from the dead and gives me life and I'm alive in him. I realize it. I know it into action. I, I feel its truth. I feel. I know at heart level I'm a son of God, child of God. I live in the is of that, in the, this, this moment. If you go to the epistles, read Romans, uh, sorry, read Ephesians, read Colossians, and note the tenses. Look, Ephesians 1 goes all the way down the first 16 verses 
It's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And goes on from there. That he's done this. We are this. You are this. You are this. And you are this. Because he loves you. For, for the praise of his glory. He did that. He's piling it up. This is done. This is. And then he stops in verse 17 and says. Lord I'm praying. Open their eyes to see this. And to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward them who believe because this is so. And then off he goes again. The Jew who were dead in trespasses and sins. And goes on further down and says you who were dead. He's made you alive in Christ. He's resurrected you. He's ascended you. And you are now seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship. You have received. On and on he goes. Until you get to chapter 4. And it says. Almost taken aback. Therefore. Because all of this is so. And it is so. Because God has achieved it in Jesus. It is so. Therefore. Well then. We start aligning our life. And our behavior to what is. I become in my action. Who I am. Because of Jesus. That's the way it is. And I'm telling you this, I meet more people who choke, you know, choke, frustrate, short circuit the blessing by contradicting what we say we believe. The person who says, I am sick, I am useless, I am poor. I am stupid, I am depressed, I am just like my parents, I never amount to anything, and so on and so on. Do you realize what you're doing? Abraham was going around saying, contradicting all the senses, he was saying, I am the father of a multitude. Sure doesn't look like it, but I am. And God's working it in me. Well, we go and say we believe in life that is beyond death. We believe in the release of life and prosperity and success in life. Life at its fullest potential. The blessing. We believe that. And then we say, but, 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 I'm useless. I'm poor. Or we say, I... I never get the breaks. I'm never lucky. And all those other pagan words. I'm stupid. I'm depressed. And you're contradicting every word of God. For if Jesus Christ lives in you, I say this, I love you, but how dare you say that? How dare you? Our identity is not in external happenings or in the words of our parents or the words of authority figures. Or what our peers say to us. Or what we stupidly say to ourselves. We are defined and our identity is in the word of God. His blessing spoken into our core self. Where I am united as one with Jesus Christ the Lord. And so we say the truth about ourselves. Incidentally, we're not saying it to get it. Now, that's new age self-help stuff. We're saying it because it is so. You're looking at me and I am a person in whom the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. You're looking at me and Christ is my life. The love of God is poured out in my heart. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The peace of God that passes human understanding is mine. This is the truth. And so we speak the truth. We say it in harmony with him. Him who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. We say it with him as Abraham said, my name is Abraham and this is my wife Sarah. And he was saying it with God. Well, 
my time is long gone. I, I'm sorry, I've kept you late. But um, I, I believe that this, this can be, <laughs> I was going to say this can be a blessing. Th this is the way in which the blessing comes into your life and transforms you. You take it, you receive it. It's not just information, it's impartation. For faith lays hold upon the grace of the blessing. And you become one of God's extraordinary people, those in whom Christ lives. Amen. That is the way it is. Let me say one quick thing before I close. If you happen to be in Bandera, or thereabouts, Sunday, April the 22nd at 3 in the afternoon, we are beginning a weekly fellowship. Now that Justin and Sarah Taylor have joined us on the ranch, and Justin can play any instrument that's ever been invented, and is a psalmist, and can lead us in worship, we, we've got now a core that can worship as well as teach. And so we will have a fellowship here every Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, beginning April 22nd, and it will be a time of worship, praise, of teaching, and um, then the, the Eucharist, the Holy Communion. And then we shall lay hands and pray with anybody who wishes it. And I know that some of you in Texas, you drive around these hills and sometimes end up in this vicinity. Well, this could be the grand end to a weekend. So, beginning April 22nd, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and every Sunday thereafter, we shall be here and join us. We're not calling it church because that gives the idea of a whole organized thing. This is just a fellowship of believers who want to come together to worship, and I'll teach, and then we'll celebrate the Holy Communion, and we'll see the Holy Spirit minister. Amen. Okay.